Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we doing out there today? I think I have to make an announcement about uh, water baptisms uh, and our double dunk day. So we're going to have the first part of the day doing some water baptisms in the river. This is a bit tentative because the river has been pretty crazy. And uh, when it gets like that, you know, currents change, things change. So We'll probably find a spot and let you know when, but if you're interested in getting baptized, that will be for you. And after that, we're going to go up there and get sunburned at the Oasis with the kids. Come on, somebody. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm in a series called Raise the Flag. Um, I, we've been studying certain spiritual dynamics. So last week, we talked about um, spiritual freedom, and I highlighted the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, and how the name of Jesus gives us victory. Now, this morning, what I want to highlight is Satan's spiritual kingdom. I, I don't know why, but the Lord just impressed me with a word today. Next week, I'm going to talk about spiritual separation. I'm actually going to be ministering on the subject of hell. I have taught on heaven before. Years ago, I taught on hell. I haven't done it for a while, but I do feel led to do that. So uh, that might be one that catches your attention. You won't want to miss it. Now, I want to read from the text, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read verse 12 and 13, and then we're going to pray. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, this morning I just thank you for your word. I pray that it would penetrate hearts and minds. I pray that the seed of the word would germinate, take root in people's hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we thank you for the authority we have in the name of Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have um, been blessed with the opportunity to travel overseas on a number of different occasions. I've been to Israel twice. And more recently, uh, right when COVID hit, I, I was just coming back from India to Nepal and made my way through Europe. And, you know, that, that was quite an experience. Now, in, in Jerusalem, I had just an incredible time praying at the Western Wall. Has anyone ever been to Jerusalem and actually had time praying there? At the, it's an incredible thing. I felt like an open heaven. And later on that trip, we ended up on top of what was a, known as a bazaar. It's, it's a marketplace there. I was on actually the rooftop of it. And I was sitting there with a group of pastors, and suddenly my mind began to be bombarded with the most wicked, demonic thoughts. Totally took me by surprise, and it reminded me about what the Scripture says in Jerusalem, how it's a place that's spiritually called Sodom, where our Lord was crucified. And there was an intense spiritual battle that's taken place in that city, in that region of the world. Uh, you know, I'd also heard that India was an oppressive place, but Man, unless you have experienced it firsthand, it's really hard to even begin to describe what it's like. The moment I got off the plane coming to India, it was like I was hit with this smell, something between eucalyptus trees and smog. And, and the poverty and the oppression that was there was just abounding everywhere. It's like you could sense the spiritual oppression of you know, a billion people with, with, a, with a myriad of gods that they were worshiping, and it left me just constantly feeling uneasy. I had this uneasiness of, around me, and I guess what it did was just highlighted the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. And what I want to highlight for us uh, this morning is what I'm going to call hell's hierarchy. 
Because when I just read this verse to you, it seems to be that there's a military order that exists in Satan's kingdom. And you can read the names of certain spirits that are mentioned, and the Greek language gives away the hierarchy and the order and the rank. You know, everything Satan does is a counterfeit to what God does. And he's got, you know, warring angels. He's got uh, cherubim and seraphim, angels that guard different things. He himself has a military order. And I don't know why, but it just seems like in this season that we're in, it's like you can just sense the spiritual struggle that is abounding in the world. And in various places and regions of the world, I know some people, you know, going through difficult things in life. It seems like that's just part of the season that we're in. And what I want to highlight for you, the realities of some of the battles and help you understand what you're faced against and how to overcome. Now, I'm starting here in verse 12. I'm going to concentrate on this verse primarily today. Paul said, we do not wrestle. Someone say wrestle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You know, when uh, Paul wrote this to his culture, uh, they totally understood what he meant by the word wrestle. Uh, It's sort of like today if we said football, everybody would know what I'm talking about. And some of us love football season, especially when the Broncos finally got a good quarterback. I'm ready for it this year. (laughs) You know, I can say that and people kind of get familiar with what you're talking about. In Paul's day, they had wrestling matches that were just incredible. I mean, there were no rules to it. People got beat up. They got bloodied. But it was part of the culture. That's what people did in that era, that time. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But he said, we wrestle against principalities and powers. And he lists a bunch of differing spirits here. The first thing I want to highlight, the first wrestling match that we're going to describe here, is one that is against principalities. I'm going to describe this as prince spirits that primarily operate against governments of the world. And as I was saying, the Greek words really give us definition and insight into uh, their rank. So the word principality is the Greek word archis, where we get uh, the word ancient times or ancient people. And what it's describing here is uh, depicting an individual who had the highest rank, the loftiest position in a society. It would be like the chief spirits. Where'd you get the word prince? Uh, A principality that exists right here. And perhaps this is dealing with fallen angels. You know, I don't want to get into the origin of demons, but it does seem to indicate in scripture that fallen angels may be uh, operating at at very high levels in Satan's kingdom. Uh, Principalities and powers. That's Ephesians Chapter 1 and verse 21, in Ephesians, Paul is going to highlight a lot of these spiritual truths. He also mentions the phrase in Colossians 1 and verse 16. He's, he's dealing with uh, high-ranking spirits. Now, Satan's methodology, in my opinion, the, the, the number one way that Satan tries to harass humanity and gain control of humanity is through wicked human governance. And you can see this playing out in our world. You can see it play out in the ancient world. And this is depicting evil spirits that dominate world governments. Uh, You can see it from the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 all the way to Mystery Babylon in Revelation chapter 17. And a lot of this, you know, you can see play out in certain places in the Old Testament. One of the great places to see this is in the book of Daniel chapter 10. I believe it's verse 13. I think we have the verse for you. And Daniel, if you know the story, he was warring, uh, he was praying and he was visited, he had a vision from the angel Gabriel who was wrestling against a prince spirit. 
uh, that spirit was uh, from, uh, he's called him the Prince of Persia. Uh, this is a spirit that's over a region. Later on in Daniel chapter 10, he's going to talk about also the Prince of Greece. And what scholars identify these prince spirit as is uh, attacks or, or, or spirits that are governing nations in, in a, a corrupt and wicked manner. Uh, the prince of Persia, a demonic spirit over ancient Persia, present-day Iran. Now, Iran and Israel are really on the brink of having a war take place. There's been a proxy war against Hezbollah, and it's like history is repeating itself. And people, you know, are scholars, the people at the Pentagon, everyone's watching and waiting to see what's going to happen between Israel and Iran. It, it, the fuse has been lit, and it's a very interesting thing. It's not just an earthly battle, there's a spiritual battle behind that that exists. Now, another prince spirit that's mentioned is the prince of Rosh. That's Ezekiel chapter 38. And this is thought to be by scholars uh, present-day Russia. It would look that there might be a prince spirit that's operating through one Vladimir Putin, seeming to influence him. I mean, it just seems that way when you look at the world. The same spirits that motivated Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong before them seems like it's operating in the current situation in the world. And it's creating havoc and all kinds of problems. It's really setting up some end-time scenarios that are quite incredible. Uh, these spirits are operating at various levels against uh, governments, heads of state. You could see this in various parts of the world, like North Korea, for instance. If you are a Christian in North Korea, it is a death sentence. You know, China has the world's largest surveillance state. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what they're able to do. They have three cameras for every person. They're actively working to digitalize the currency so that no can, transactions can be made without the government's approval. And, and this is a perfect example of, of how the enemy loves to control populations. That has been his strategy. You know, when I was in India, India has become a very closed place to the gospel. It used to be you could have massive crusades. Well, you don't see that anymore. It's because the government has taken the approach that they don't want to have Christian influences. And so I was just talking to the friend that I went to India with last week. He went to a town where the pastor had just been poisoned a week before by militants trying to stop Christianity from spreading. And what this is is wicked spirits in heavenly places attempting to control population through governance. And this is sort of the scenario the Bible describes and lays out before us. You know, my friend Chris Michelson, the video we showed, he ministers primarily in Pakistan. Pakistan, interestingly enough, has a constitution that actually allows for those things to take place. That's why he's able to go there. But he's seeing a tremendous harvest of souls in that region of the world. Really, it's what it's called the 1040 window. It's, it's, it's a, a latitude and longitude that, that exists from North Africa all the way over to uh, Japan, and that region of the world is the most unreached group of people in the world with one of the, the highest populations. Some, almost half the world lives in that region alone. And it's a place of tremendous spiritual battles and conflict. And we want to do our part to get the gospel there. Amen? Now, in Western countries, it would appear to me that we're steadily on a march towards globalized government. I do believe that there is an antichrist spirit that is at work. Let me just give you a couple thoughts that fact-checkers checked and said wasn't true, which kind of includes me to think that it could be true. I don't know if you've seen what's happening over in uh, 
the Netherlands. They have, a, they have a bill right now. Farmers are actually protesting. So the supermarkets are out of food right now because they want to pass legislation that would stop carbon emissions on tractors, on cows, and they want to do it so much that farmers will be put out of business. I looked this up. I couldn't believe this. The Netherlands are like one of the largest food producers in the world, the Netherlands. And it, so they're shutting down f farming. They, they're striking because they realize that could put them out of business. In Australia, a bill was proposed. It did not go through, but it's called a biosecurity bill. And what they wanted to do was basically outlaw people from having their own gardens. They don't want contaminated food to spread, stop you from growing your own food. Did you all see that Bill Gates bought like 60,000 acres of farmland in North Dakota? He's the number one owner of farmland in the world. And I don't know, call me crazy, it just seems like there's an attempt to control the food source in America. That's why your food costs are going through the roof. I mean, it just would seem that there's some sort of strategy at play. And I don't know how else to describe it other than there's spirits at work with corrupt intentions. I mean, these are very interesting times that we're living in. You know, it, uh, the only thing that stands in the way of an Antichrist agenda in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. And we have been given authority corporately as the church to stand in a place of righteousness. We're called the salt of the earth. And I think it's very important and crucial for people to understand the, the place that we have as believers to, to stand and to pray for things. I have observed, though, that sometimes zealous and misguided Christians might have this idea that they can go out on their own and start attacking prince spirits at principalities. And, and I, I've seen people who've done that have ended up in disarray. I remember one guy had a famous ministry for breaking things, and he'd break baseball bats on his knees, and he'd hold the baseball bats up like a cross, and he'd come against Prince Spirits. He'd start calling them out, the Spirit of the Antichrist. Anytime I've seen people do that, their ministries tend to blow up with affairs, with scandals, with all kinds of things, because these are real spirits. And we're talking about the church being a collective force on the earth, not an individual going after some principality. I'm just trying to warn you, these are real things that the Bible gives insight to. The Bible is a very mysterious book in some ways. It gives us insight into the spirit realm. Now, let's deal with the secondary uh, hierarchy level that, that Satan uses. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. Someone say powers. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to just describe powers as spirits that operate against what I would just call societies. A society is an ethnicity. It's actually a people group. And the Greek word is the word exousia. Now, exousia actually means a delegated authority. It's, it's describing a secondary level of spirits. It's something that has been delegated for powers uh, to work against. Principalities and powers are mentioned together. Romans 8.38, Ephesians 1.21. These, these are usually mentioned uh, together with one another. Now, the word society is like an, an aggregate, a collective of people. It's describing um, cities or perhaps regions of the world. So Boston is a city in New England. New England is like a region. It is kind of like you know, that type of, of thing. Uh, the, you know, I remember <laughs> I took Elizabeth. Uh, we were down at a little uh, conference, and we thought we would go to New Orleans and visit Bourbon Street. Now... I thought Bourbon Street was going to be like, you know, touristy. 
Uh, maybe, you know, maybe some uh, souvenir shops and some <laughs> vendors on the streets. Oh, no, it was a giant party club. It didn't help that it was the Falcons and the Saints on a Monday night football game. But it was a little bit noisy down there. And I'm driving in a white PT Cruiser looking out the window like, wow, Elizabeth, do you see this? She had her head between her legs and she was praying in tongues. Get me out of here. Because <laughs> you, you know why? You, you could feel a spirit in the air. Like I, I, I was in a place, I was like, I can feel demonic oppression. Yeah, that's not just because I'm not a fan of the Falcons. That's just, I could sense it in the atmosphere. I could feel it in the air. You know, the societies, um, you know, are not bad things. It, it's society, it, it, in America, we have like a, a melting pot. So we've got all kinds of ethnicities and people groups. And in this culture for 200 years, Christianity has thrived. I mean, it, basically, America has a real rooted Christian nation. You, you can drive across the countryside in certain states and find churches dotted all along the, the road there. Uh, but I do believe that there's an agenda right now from people with wicked intentions. One of the things they have is the Open Borders Initiative. And it's like they're letting people into countries in a straight attempt to ruin society, to weaken it. It's happening at the southern border. It's happening in Europe like crazy. I mean, you look at what's happened in Europe. The, the culture that once was Christianized has become secular, atheistic, and almost entirely overrun with Muslims. I mean, that's what's happening in the world, a, a, a breakdown of the society. I think spirits are really operating with agendas to do this. Now, hierarchy number three. I'm in the 12th verse. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, Against the rulers, someone say rulers, rulers of the darkness of this age. Now, let's highlight a third spirit here. These are what are called rulers, and I'm going to describe these spirits as operating against the culture. Interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word kosmos uh, or kosmochristos. And what that, what that Greek word is describing is raw power. It's translated as might. In Ephesians 1.21. What, what this is describing, it's a specific Greek military word where you take the raw might of young men and you harness their energy and strength in military strength and file, rank and file. So what you're seeing is this dissemination of authority from a prince spirit to a power down to rank and file where people or, or you know, where, where spirits, in this case, are, are harnessed energy against people. Now, uh, there's a difference between society and culture. So society is people groups, ethnicities. Culture has to do with the beliefs, the practices, in particular, uh, the language and customs of a people group. And, you know, America, as I was saying, has had a predominant Christian culture, you know, for, since its inception. I mean, we've had uh, churches and the Constitution when the Bill of Rights were written by people who attended church. And in my observation in the short 40 years I've been alive is that there has been an all-out attack, assault, against Christian values and Christian culture in America. And you can see it play out in things like social media. And one side of the group is absolutely berating that idea. They say that people are not being attacked. Christians aren't under any kind of spiritual attack. They just blow that off. But I'm just telling you, I've watched it. And where I see it the most strongly is in the nuclear family. 
I mean, you can watch a breakdown of society just taking place in family. We've got more people born out of wedlock than at any other time in American history. And it's like the family is being diminished. People don't value it anymore. You've got all kinds of attitudes against parents. I mean, it's one of the places where that culture, which is the building block of society, is really under an attack. There is an attack today against gender. I mean, it's like people are afraid to address this subject. And what's happening in the culture wars, in my opinion, is a demonic spirit that is working against people. And so you've got places where this is almost reaching epidemic proportion levels because of the society, the culture that we're dealing with. And I'm telling you, it's a demonic thought to think that you can change your gender. You're also about to see a wave of lawsuits coming against doctors who perform surgeries like that. I'm just telling you, that's where the world is headed because it creates so much chaos. There is an all-out assault against truth. That's in the language. They want to change the language so people can't describe what women are anymore. I mean, it's just bizarre thoughts that have never existed since humanity began. And the Bible gives us some insights into how Satan works against, you know. So we've got culture that's just going astray and weird ideas. You know, the thing about culture is that it can be changed. A culture can be changed. It can be Christianized. It can be secularized. Africa, for the last 1,800 years, was a totally unreached, dark place where you know, people had primitive ideas in life. And in the last hundred years, Christianity has thrived in Africa. I mean, it's exploding. It's, 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 in fact, Africa and South America are the two hottest places where Christianity is growing on a scale that's amazing. The global center of Christianity, they now say, is in the southern hemisphere because of what's taking place in Africa, in South America. I mean, there's an explosive growth of, of Christianity. That, that's a whole cultural shift. And it feels like in America, you know, there's a, a cultural shift away from the things of God, from, from Christianity. Now, I do believe that that culture can swing back. But what the enemy is so good at that Christians are not good at is that he's very disciplined. He's got a military order that, peop- that his, his minions will follow through on and rank and file. And we've got a disjointed church that doesn't know anything about how to use their authority, is afraid to take a stand, won't address the culture. And so we've, we've, we're just fraying apart because we've got too many people sleeping in churches. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you. That's what's happening in society. Now, a fourth area here about this hierarchy that Satan has set up. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember, people aren't the enemy. We're wrestling against spirits, principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. And then he mentions the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let's take this phrase, uh, spiritual wickedness. And this is the lowest level. This is where you've got spirits that work against people on individual levels. Uh, That's what the word is describing. It's the word uh, poneros which means something bad, malevolent, impious, vicious. It's dealing you know, with... Um, it's actually a significant word selection that Paul used right here uh, because it's a host that has been sent forth in the spirit realm to attack people on individual levels, to attack humanity with negative thoughts and malevolence and, and you know, that, that, that personal level. The lowest rank of demons, the the ones that can't think for themselves, the ones that follow through the orders, 
That, that's the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, what I learned this week that was so interesting, I've read this verse probably, you know the verse, but I never made this observation before. I want you to read with me how many times the word against is used in the verse. He, he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. That's five places where the word against is used. And if you know anything about biblical language, when a phrase is repeated, that's the Bible's way of highlighting it. It doesn't have exclamation marks in the original Greek or Hebrew language. So when there's a, a double reference, like the holy, 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 three times, that, that's saying holy is the Lord. I mean, it, it's booming. When the Lord called Samuel, he said, Samuel, Samuel. That's a Samuel. That's an emphasis. So what the Bible is describing for us here in the use of the word against is the uh, impersonal nature of this battle. You are going to have to deal with this. It's going to impact every person on various levels, but in your own personal life, there's going to be times when you have to deal or confront or come against hosts of wickedness that attack you. And the scriptures give us insight into what some of these spirits are. For instance, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. I think fear is probably the most common thing that people deal with. It's sometimes the loudest voice, and everyone has timidity or insecurity, and sometimes you get that feeling where you're inadequate, and it's a spirit of fear that works against people. I thank God for what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Man, that is one of my life verses. I love reading that verse. I love it. It encourages me. The scripture speaks about uh, a spirit of infirmity. That's what Jesus said. And this deals with sickness and disease. And it could be that sometimes there's diseases, maybe like cancer or nicotine addictions or things like that, that, that are spirits operating against people. That's what the scriptures seem to indicate. It's a bit mysterious. Like the woman who had that infirmity for 18 years in the Bible. Uh, the Bible describes a scene in Acts 16 where Paul cast out a spirit of divination from a slave girl. That's, a, that's like witchcraft. And, you know, there are people who dabble in voodoo, other religions, and cast spells. And I'm telling you, that is demonic activity that might be operating against somebody. That's what the scriptures declare. One spirit that's mentioned by Jesus is called an unclean spirit. And this is a spirit of sexual perversion. There's an uncleanliness about it. And it's amazing when you look at how people get so hooked on pornography. Now, I don't look at pornography. You can check my phone. My wife can verify it. But in, in moments of my life where, like every other person, I've seen it, it's almost like you can feel certain tentacles coming over your brain. And, and I was doing a study on this uh, when we did the Conquer series. That, that's actually a protein forming in the brain, but it feels like the tentacles of a demon wrapping itself around you. When people get hooked on pornography, it's like they can't stop looking away. It's a spirit that works. It's, somehow, it's sent against, in particular, young men. The Bible also mentions, Paul wrote this in Galatians, he said, uh, I don't want you to have a spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, he's writing that in Galatians, the spirit of bondage. He's talking about a religious spirit. That's what Jesus was faced with against Pharisees. You can always tell when people are under a religious spirit when they start getting uncomfortable because you're praising the Lord. 
It's like when things get noisy or you want to celebrate or there's some joy, they, that, that, they get uncomfortable. That's called a religious spirit that has never experienced true victory and deliverance through the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and the Bible mentions a spirit of error. This is what John said, 1 John 4. The spirit of error. Now, I have friends who get off doctrinally. And I, I love them, appreciate them, but sometimes if that isn't corrected... It can grow. And I've seen this in people. It's like that error begins to grow and grow and grow. And really what it is is a doctrine of demons that people will buy into. And man, you're seeing that in various places of the church. Sweet by it. It's just, it's blowing up at some places. I also want to remind you of what John said, 1 John 4 and verse 4. He said, greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. Which should encourage you to know that you have authority against demonic spirits. I mean, you, you don't have to put up with that. You can cast them down in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Now, the verse says that this hierarchy exists in the last phrase of verse 12, in the heavenly places. Such an interesting word again. And I want you to keep a finger here, and I want you to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So we'll come right back to this. But in 2 Corinthians 12, I just wanted to paint a picture for you uh, of what this kind of looks like, how this works. So here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing in verse 2. And he said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, this was when Paul was in the wilderness and discovering his call. Or actually, this, this moment right had was probably when he was stoned at Iconium. That's Acts 14. 14 years ago, he said, Whether in the body, I do not know, whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Someone say third heaven. So I think that when Paul was at Iconium, he was stoned. And evidently, he had a vision of heaven. Either he had the vision while well, his spirit was in his body, or he said his, he may have died and his spirit may have went to heaven. He said, I don't know, but he went to the third heaven. And verse 4 says he was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So... I, I, I think I depicted a, a, a picture. The Lord gave me this as I was putting this together. It's about three heavens. All right. So if there's a first heaven, uh, that would you can put the slide up. We have there's the first heaven, or excuse me, the third heaven is where God's throne is. It's a place called paradise. And you know, if it's a third heaven, we would deduce that there's a second heaven and a first heaven, and also the language of the of the Bible gives it away. The second heaven is the atmosphere above the mountains. That's what it describes it. The, that would be like the sun, the stars. And my opinion, this is my opinion because it's not directly laid out in Scripture, my opinion is that could be the place where prince spirits are, are, are ruling from, high in the heavens. And below that, we have this first heaven, which is the word that Paul used in Ephesians 6 and verse 12 to describe the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's, that's a word that means from the mountain air and below. It's the atmosphere, the first heavens where rulers of darkness, powers, and spiritual hosts of wickedness are dwelling. This is why Satan in Ephesians 2 is called the prince of the power of the air. And somehow he uses the power of suggestion against you to try to get you into buy into a concept. This is the spiritual battle that's listed in, in three heavens. And I hope that that helps highlight for you kind of the nature of the battle, the structure, and the way it works. Now, I want to go back to Ephesians 6 and verse 13 and, and just close out with the verse here. Ephesians 6 and verse 13 says, Therefore, if there's a therefore, you need to know why is therefore. Because of the spiritual battle that the Bible highlights against 
governments, against the culture, against individuals. He's telling us personally to take up the whole armor of God. I've taught upon that before. That's not my emphasis for today. But you do need to wear your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. You need to be equipped and armed in those things. He said that you may be able to withstand, someone say withstand, in the evil day. That's more than just having like a bad hair day. The evil day is when you're faced against some kind of spiritual battle. You're having one of those days where you feel an assault and attack against you. And if you're not equipped and not aware, you may not be able to stand up in that day. And he said, having done all to stand. Someone say stand. And the next verse says, stand therefore. Yeah, three times in this short area, he's talking about the word stand. What it tells me is that the church is called to stand in righteousness. I mean, that, that is what we are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be taking our stance in righteousness because Paul is describing here uh, a victorious position. He's just giving us a posture of victory. Uh, as the Bible says, thanks be to God who's given us the victory in Christ Jesus. It tells us that he causes us to triumph everywhere he goes. The scriptures say if the rulers of this world had known that they were crucifying the Lord of glory, they would never have crucified Jesus. I mean, think about that. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we have been given the victory. That's why it's describing here this position of taking a stand against a spiritual opposition, against darkness that's pushing against us. Yeah. Now, how is it that we as a church are going to take a stand? What are things that we got to do? What does it mean to stand or be established in righteousness? Just let me give you a couple thoughts about that. The first thing I think that needs to happen is the teaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. You, you need to hear the word taught. The Bible calls it the foolishness of preaching. God, preaching is a foolish thing. But God uses it to help establish people in truth, in righteousness. Now, I have a passion for the Bible. I love to learn about it. I love to find out that there's five times in Ephesians 6.12 where the word against is used against you, highlighting the personal nature of the battle. I like understanding that the word wrestle is a cultural term that we understand is like football. <laughs> like you understand what that means. You understand the name. I love learning about the Bible. And when you hear it taught, when it gets in your heart, when you read the scriptures, when it's communicated, that is what is, helps establish you in righteousness. So you know truth from error. So you know the will of God. It comes through the Bible. It comes through teaching it. Uh, to have your heart established in righteousness would mean that you are living righteously. It means you're not caught up in sin. Now, I have had plenty of opportunity in my life to sin. I have gotten caught up with things, pursuits. The Lord's delivered me from things. I, I have been there, done that. I don't want to do that. I want to follow the Lord. I want to live for Him. I want to draw near to God and have Him draw near to me, and I'm hungry for it. I'm hungry for righteousness. There's nothing like walking with Jesus. The Bible says that it's soothing. The Bible describes righteousness as a blessing. It talks about the peace of God. It says that your days will be long upon the earth. There's nothing as fulfilling as a cleanly life walking with the Lord. That's righteousness. I want to stand in that. I want to be established in that. I want to live for God. And to be established, it means that we have prevailing prayer on behalf of a church, a church that knows how to pray. It's so interesting to me that when Paul is here in Ephesians 6, he closes out in verse 18 by saying that we should pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Always being praying, always standing in prayer. And, and 
I have to just tell you my personal conviction about what the Supreme Court recently did in overturning Roe versus Wade was a massive answer to prayer that people have been praying for years. And, you know, some people, they're so afraid to even talk about things like that, they can't even discern that that was a spiritual battle. And God heard the cries of people and turned things around. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And if we will pray, the will of the Lord will be worked out in situations. And I'm telling you, it's incredible the power of prayer. Prayer is so powerful, even on a personal level. My mother had prayed for me because I was a backslidden, rebellious young man. And I had no intentions of walking for God, walking with him. I didn't care. I was tired of her, you know, preaching to me all the time. And um, one day, May 16, 1998, it was like the light clicked, and God sovereignly took me. And it was an answer to my mom's prayers. I, and it was like, man, he just supernaturally, he did it. And I'm just telling you, prayer is a super important, powerful thing. And if a church can stand in righteousness in prayer on the Word of God we can see culture changed. Now, maybe you've realized this morning you might be under the influence of the culture. I, I, I've had the Lord highlight this with me. It's called the spirit of the age and the worldliness. So one of the things that, that you know, God dealt with me personally about was even in, in my own family, uh, how I treat them, how I raise my kids, what I allow in the home. It's like sometimes you get so familiar with the culture that if someone says something that makes you uncomfortable, it goes against the political narrative, the political correctness, you get uncomfortable. That might be the culture influencing you in, in, in unrighteousness. And maybe you're sitting there this morning, if you might feel uncomfortable at that, it could be because you're caught up with the things of the world and don't understand the nature of the battle, how the enemy is trying to influence people into wickedness. I, I'm telling you, I've had God correct me on things that I believe, things I see, because He wants righteousness in the people's lives. That's what He wants. Or perhaps, and I dealt with this a couple weeks ago, you could be recognizing there is a spirit that's hindering you on a personal level. And this happens with people. Sometimes it does take the Holy Spirit to illuminate that for me. I might be down, I might be discouraged, and I'm realizing I'm fighting a battle. And the longer that I live and, and walk in my relationship with God, sometimes it's like I come up against repeated struggles and I might identify, you know what, this is a spirit working against me. And spiritual battles can be won if you identify them and know how to use your authority. That There's hindering spirits sent against you to try to wear you out. That's what the Bible says. They want to wear you down. And it just takes you with some discernment and some authority, and for your mind to be renewed in the Word of God, for you to walk out God's plan for your life. Or perhaps you're realizing that uh, you want to be established in righteousness. This is a time for you to take a stand in your life and for your family. You know, there's a great story in the Bible, 2, Timothy, or 2 Samuel 23, and it's a man named Shammah. And it says that Shammah was fighting the Philistines but he stationed himself in a pea patch. Like, like he held his little territory right there. In the middle of a field, he stood against an army of Philistines and defeated them. That, that's a stand in righteousness. And perhaps you're just sensing conviction from the Holy Spirit that's saying, I'm going to live for God. I am going to turn my back 
on the things of the world. I recognize the spirit of the age working against me, and I want to make a stand. Does anyone else feel that way? I want to live for God these days, man. I want to go after him with everything I have in my heart. I want to be an influencer for the kingdom of God. I want people to be able to look at my life and see that I'm living with him. Amen? Let's pray that. Father, I just thank you this morning for righteousness. I thank you for the seed of God sown in people's hearts. I thank you that you gave us insight into the spiritual battle against us thousands of years. And Lord, it may seem mysterious to us earthly creatures, but this is what you said was taking place on higher levels in the unseen realm. And so I pray that you give us wisdom and insight, spiritual discernment, and I pray you'd enable us to walk with you in righteousness all the days of our lives. May we come after you more fully than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, I did have a breakthrough this week. I got my sod put in my yard. <laughs> so I hope that you never have to hear me deal with the house stuff again, right? I mean, like, I want to be done with that project. It's significant for me because, you know, we grew up way out in the country. And I don't know if we had a yard or not. It was like half grass, half not grass. Sometimes we'd take hoses and make big mud piles. My mom would be shocked and horrified when she'd come home. But that's country life. And I think we didn't really have much of a yard because we didn't have uh, sprinkler systems. No sooner had I got my yard in than my well pump went out. <laughs> it's frustrating. I'm getting it fixed today. I remember we had a shed or a shop out there in the country where you could put the motor home in that dad had and a bunch of you know, tools. And I remember we'd open those big doors to that shed. And you know what I would see when the doors came open? I would see lots of mice run back and hide on the... That's what happens to rats, too. When lights are shown, they'll go hide. Yeah. Let, let me tell you what happens uh, when you accept Jesus in your heart, when the light of the gospel comes to shine in your heart. This is uh, where evil spirits and demons will flee and leave because of the shining of God's light. That's what happens. They come in. They hate the light. They hate that. You know, the gospel is what produces assurance in a person's heart so that you know that you know that you know that you're safe, that you're right with him. It's the cleanliness, the cleanness that comes when the light of God's word shines and exposes the hidden works of darkness. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you don't know that you can be right with God, if you don't fully understand how he can grab you and lay hold of your heart, I just want you to put a hand up. I want to pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus, if you're not ready, I see that hand. Let's all take a, I see that hand. Let's all take a step into the light. Say, Father God, come into my heart. I thank you for saving me. And I want to repent of my sin and walk in the light as you were in the light. In Jesus' name. And there's something wonderful and amazing about a conscience cleansed and about the light of God's word shining in your heart. Amen. Amen. Will you stand up with me this morning? I, I, I just am so blessed and humbled by a group of people that want to run after God. I have been watching, you know, a few of you just over the years, and I'm telling you, we've got people who want to live for God. And man, that pursuit of righteousness is a wonderful thing. If you want prayer this morning, the altars are open for you to pray. We'd love to pray with you. If you need some answers or breakthroughs, we're here to pray with you. Uh, in the meantime, I do have one favor to ask. Uh, I need to get the first four rows of chairs picked up one last time because we were having one last week of vacation Bible school. How many of y'all kids have enjoyed vacation Bible school, man? We're going to pack this place out this last, when we got Wednesday night at 6.30. It's not too late. You can bring your kid out. So if you want prayer, come on down. If you want to help stack the chairs, I could use some help with that. The first four rows. We love you all very much, and we'll catch you all next week. Amen?